My name is Emma Martin, and this is the Lazy Keto Mum Podcast. If you are looking for help with keto and low carb, you have come to the right place. We are wired to eat. We are. We are biologically wired to hunt the berries and to hunt sugar. It's how we survived. So we love sugar, we crave it, and, and we, we go looking for it. We are hunters and gatherers. You know, you think about how we make decisions about energy. We love the carbs because that's what our bodies want to do. They want the quick energy. So when you have a glucose molecule and carbohydrates are just chains of glucose, there's one more process involved. It's got to divide it. But when with licorice or lollies or chocolate or whatever, our body can use that straight away. If you think about it as an ancestral natural thing, it makes sense and why you wouldn't beat yourself up over that. Because that's our job. Our job is to survive. Our bodies are going, you need those berries. Then we have no willpower. The willpower is gone. That's a body thing. It's not your fault. It's not a failing and it's not a flaw. You think about berries hundreds of thousands of years ago when man first started walking the earth, berries were probably tiny. They weren't these big juicy raspberries and strawberries. Oranges, they were this big even in our grandparents' eras. But today you can buy a navel orange almost as, almost as big as your kid's head. They're bred to be juicy and fatter just like we're becoming. As our food gets juicier and fatter, we're getting there too. And the key is not so much portion control, but the key is to not beat yourself up when you make a mistake, but to eat protein with it. And you think about our ancestors would have had, they would have been out hunting. They might have eaten some berries for fast energy. They would have been in ketosis because their last meal would have been, you know, a few days ago and they'd be having bone broth because they would have used all the animal. So they'd be running on ketones. Oh, there's some berries that are going to keep you going. So I'm going to eat those berries. Oh, yeah, great. You might, if there's a big haul, take them back to your family. But they sure as heck weren't pushing shopping trolleys through a fruit section in Coles. What I want you to take away from that is it's actually not your fault. It's how we survive. It's very, very natural. Unfortunately, what that's led to is high blood pressure, inflammation, which we've spoken about, weight gain. A lot of us are here for that. If you're not here for the fat loss, know that inflammation is a big, big thing, particularly with a healthy brain and healthy neural pathways. We're seeing big prevalences of diabetes, diabetes 2, kids being diagnosed with diabetes as well, and, of course, fatty liver disease. And when they issued the low-fat guidelines, what happened was sugar consumption rose as well because when you take the fat out of a food, you take away the flavour. You think about a big steak without the marbling. Is it as good? No, and it's not as filling, it's not as satisfying, but we've been told to eat lean meat and then we're filling ourselves up on all the other stuff. So whereas when you eat, say, lamb chops with the tail cooked or you cook a slow cook of gravy beef that's got chunks of fat through it and you've broken down, that, that again, that's our ancestors would have done that. They would have eaten the best bits and then slow cooked or stewed the leftovers, I mean, they probably would have eaten offal and the brains and whatever. They certainly didn't just eat the muscle. You know, that's quite a new thing. The obesity has been growing and growing since the low-fat guidelines came in. 
So sugar was never a big part of our diet. It, it followed the trade routes through the Indies. It made its way into Western society. And you know, it was so precious that it was kept under lock and key. They would have minuscule amounts. So it's, it's, it's a you know, real shame. And our, our sugar consumption has grown massively. In the 1800s, obviously, that's where sugar started becoming a commodity. They started planting plantations everywhere. And you know, around the 1940s, 1950s, there was a dip. And then the advertising came in. It's like, feed your baby Coke and they'll be happy forever. And, you know, there's all these ads that were in the women's magazines and this coincided with the low-fat movement. So taking out the flavour of, of fat and adding the sugar back in. And so seeing this pretty dramatic rise of sugar consumption and that correlates more with what's happened with diabetes too and all of our, our neurological diseases Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia, anxiety, depression, you know, that all correlates as well. Yeah, nasty stuff. If you want more information, you could watch that sugar film, horrifying. Could also, there's a guy called Dr. Robert Lustig. He's an anti-sugar campaigner and he has a lot of facts. Dr. John Yudkin, he was a very vocal, he was Ansel Keys's opponent in fat. Uh, debate. So when they were bringing the fat hypothesis, he he was actually bringing proof, and he, he got shut down. Four teaspoons. That is how much our body can handle. So guess what happens to the rest? It has to store it. It's toxic. It causes inflammation. So your body has to ramp up the storage mode. Look at the poppers that we give our kids. A box of juice. And, and we think this is healthy, but basically it's just sugar with the pulp squeezed out between four and five teaspoons in these little boxes. Ah, no wonder our kids are going crazy. There's some really interesting research actually around ADHD and brain pathway issues, particularly with kids uh, and, and the amount of sugar. So the good news is you can reverse it. Told you I was on the soapbox. Yeah, I'm going to give you some tips around how to get even more sugar aware because sugar's it's a it's a key, but it it is also a poison, and it, it it's because it causes that cycle. So you know, you eat your food, you make your insulin, the, ins- the cells get sick of the body going, mate. You know, rah rah rah. It's like the teenager who's deaf in the bedroom and turns the music up. That's what happens to the cells. And then any extra sugar in our blood that's toxic, it has to be stored. It has to be. And that's what leads to fatty liver as well. It in- continually increased levels of blood sugar. But yes, you can undo it. The best thing you can do to get around and away from that is actually probably to go for a walk and burn the glycogen out of your system and tell your body that your metabolism's okay because it is just, it's an insulin and a blood sugar spike. Sugar has this same cycle. So you eat the sugar, you like it, you crave it because that's what we're wired to do. Your blood sugar levels rise and not only that, but it causes a dopamine release biological so what happens is it leads to an addiction and people are addicted to sugar it changes the gut flora sometimes you can have uh, growths of uh, bacteria in your gut that call for sugar you know when they brew beer they feed it sugar they feed the yeast sugar so it multiplies that's happening in your tummy as well so again you can reverse that so when you've got this mass insulin um, secretion that's happening because it's got to lower your blood le- blood sugar levels and it's immediate 
it's immediate and it, it will store it in your liver because that's the fastest place for it to get it back if it needs it. It can access it really quickly. And then your body, obviously, it's that craving cycle. You'll notice over celebrations and if you overdid it a little bit at Christmas, you'll notice it's harder to get back on. So my suggestion is to find replacements. And, yeah, of course, the hunger and the cravings. I notice whenever I eat rice, I'm hungry within hours. I don't know if you guys have felt the same. I, I guess, you know, I still, the naan bread still calls me when we have Indian, but now I just have a little bit and I'm, I'm good. So the good news is you will get better at managing it and your body gets better at managing it. Just at the start, it can often sabotage you. I sort of suggest it's easier not to go there at the beginning. There are over 80 names for sugar. If you didn't need another reason to leave sugar alone, it bypasses the hunger mechanism. When you're hungry and you eat sugar, you're still hungry, which is what I was saying about rice before. It bypasses your leptin, which is your satiety hormone, and for the record, soda carbohydrates. We, we love them, we crave them, we eat them, we want them, and then we're hungry and back on that roller coaster and it just never ends. Sugar is probably the worst because at least carbohydrates have some form of, you know, vitamins and minerals. Sugar does not. It also leads to massive brain glycation and puts the sticky endings on all your telomeres, which are all about aging, longevity. They're like your spark plugs. That's how you grow all gracefully. You look after your spark plugs. And if you picture an engine that hasn't had its oil changed, that's what you're doing to your brain when you eat sugar. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> if you told me this, I don't know, three years ago, I'd be like. <sighs> so if you look at, say, uh, malt, malt's good, right? No, it's a sugar. Okay, well, grape juice must be good because it's from a fruit and it's a juice. No, it's sugar. It's the same spike of insulin and blood sugar. The worst is high fructose corn syrup. So you guys have all seen how round people are in America high fructose corn syrup is it, it they needed to kind of sell it because they had all these corn plantations that needed to be used and it's like oh well we can make this out of this let's do that and then all of a sudden they're using high fructose corn syrup but it is metabolized immediately into the liver immediately if you see that on a label you need to put it back on the shelf and, and that's the best way we can teach food manufacturers that that's not okay I know I'm harping about this. This is just how sneaky they are. You read that and you go, okay, well, uh, palm sugar, that must be better for you because it's from a palm. No, lactose. It's probably the least of our concerns, actually. I mean, that's a milk sugar. Anything ending in O's, that's a dead set giveaway that it's a sugar. Fruit juice, that's a sugar. It's just that when you eat a whole fruit, you've got the fiber to slow down the sugar digestion. When you have a fruit juice, you have this blood sugar spike and that's the difference between eating fruit and drinking sugars. So anyway, good replacements. I am a fan of erythritol. I think it's actually the best uh, tasting and the least pretend sugar tasting. I like to blitz it. So if you can only get granulated erythritol, you can blend it in your blender or in like a food processor and use it for baking so that it's not granulated. So erythritol just has to be processed a little bit more. Now erythritol and stevia and monk fruit, it's fibrous. So a lot of it does actually have no response on the blood sugar spike. Now, 
disclaimer, no, caution. If you get to a point in your journey where you're plateaued, it's possible that the thought of sweetener spikes your insulin. What happens is when we think of food, we salivate, right? It's like when you see the chocolate in the fridge, you're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and you, you are literally eating it in your mind. Guess what happens to your body? So go easy on the fat bombs. We want it to burn its own fat. If fat loss is not a goal for you and you're here for health and you needed to put fat on, go hell for leather. Eat a spoonful of peanut butter every day. Erythritol, you can get at the health food shops um, and there's actually the, the liquid stevias. I generally have them in my store, both of those, because I like to have stock all the time and when I order something for me, I'll order more for everybody else because it's cheaper. Monk fruit you can get in the supermarket at Coles, Woolies, and Zolotol you can get at the health food shop Um, or any of your kind of healthy, um, you know, they sell them like by the scoop type places. And, again, the further you come off sugar, the less and less you'll actually need and you'll find that things are starting to taste really, really sweet. Soapbox moving aside. I'm just going to put that over there and rest it till next time. What I want you to think about, what, what changes have you made so far and what it's meant to you? Does sugar make you feel sick? Like think about the impact of that and how, what that actually means moving forward. How much clearer your brain's going to be? How much more in control of food choices you're going to be? I want you to think about how far you've come because I think it's really tempting at this point to go, oh, well, you know, this hasn't happened or this hasn't happened. But the little wins, the little wins, being able to get up more easily, sleeping better, the focus and the energy and the ability to make better choices, this is about health. And it's got to happen inside before you see it on the outside. What a win is that you've had? It doesn't have to be big. It might just be the fact that you bounced out of bed. It might be the fact that you actually didn't feel like you needed to eat the donuts when you walked past at the supermarket. These are little non-scale victories that need to be celebrated because they're benchmarks. It's those things that define this and make this how to move forward and how to never fall off another diet ever. Hopefully you're seeing how that's possible.